welcome to Language Chats. This is a podcast for language lovers in Australia and beyond, where we share our experiences of language learning with you, as well as the stories of other Australians and a few international guests who love learning, working with and communicating using other languages. I'm Penny. And I'm Beck, and we'd like to begin this episode by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we're recording today, the Wadawurrung people and the Wurundjeri people, and we pay our respects to their elders past and present. Um, Beck, how are you going with Clothesmaster? We talked briefly in our last episode about our new sponsor, which we're very excited to have supporting Language Chats, the podcast. What languages are you using Clothesmaster for at the moment? So I have been using Clothesmaster primarily for Danish, um, but also for Italian, which I'm trying to dip my toes back into. Yay. Oh, what about so you, good. Penny? Which languages have you been using Clothesmaster for? Well, primarily for Chinese and I've been playing around with French as well. But I have also added Italian, which I think is a little bit ambitious of me because I <laughs> am a complete beginner. But I thought, why not <laughs> give myself yeah. a challenge? <laughs> well, and, and if I'm remembering correctly, I think one of your kids is doing Italian at school. She is. My right? eldest yes. is learning Italian. Yes. Yes. So, well, that's a great idea. And what, what better way to just like have a bit of a dabble? Um, although, how are you finding jumping into Italian in Clothesmaster um, with you know, is, is, has it helped that you've done some French before? And so that's... <laughs> I think it helps that I'm like willing to take a guess and have a stab. And yes. I love that Clothesmaster has the multiple choice option because that makes it super easy. And the kind of structure breakdown, you know, verb versus noun versus adjective. I don't know if you've seen that in any of your... Um, sentences that pop up that you actually can break it down like that and I think that's kind of a cool feature especially if you really want to you know get into the nuts and bolts yeah totally um I also have to say like I having scrolled through the list of available languages on close master it's pretty significant my goodness it's amazing um and some languages that are just you know we don't see resources for anywhere else yeah, and exactly I love right. that. I really love that. So um, I think maybe people who are learning something that they just can't, you know, get a great app for, they totally should check out Clothesmaster just for exactly. all the different types of languages. That's right. There's over 50, over 50 languages available, um, but in amongst probably the ones that you might expect um, and the more popular languages that are being learnt, there's also... Georgian is available on there or actually Latin is available on Clothesmaster. Um, Scottish uh, Gaelic. Irish Gaelic, yep, lots of Gaelic on there. Yiddish. Um, Afrikaans, um, lots of lots of different languages there and also they are available in different pairings. Yes, have you tried um, any pairings? I have not but I am curious and I will have to have a go um, because if you do ever want to try and maybe – test out one of your more advanced languages by actually using that as kind of the base language and then pairing it with something else that you're still learning and more kind of intermediate level in um hey why not Ooh, so watch this space back what would you pair i would pair danish and french Ooh. Okay, I think I would, <laughs> in a very <laughs> ambitious way, give Chinese and French a go. Should we try it next time? Let's see how see how it works out. <laughs> I think I think we'll have to give it a go. <laughs> 
So if Clothes Master sounds like something that you would like to check out, please do and show our wonderful sponsor some love. You can download the Clothes Master app for free. Um, C-L-O-Z-E-M-A-S-T-E-R. And of course, there is a pro version of Clothesmaster as well, where you can get access to advanced features and stats. Um, and we are able to, thanks to Clothesmaster, um, offer you a 10% discount off the um, pro subscription um, using the code Language Lovers. So give that a go um, and you can discover all the extra things that come with Clothesmaster Pro. Well, we have another super interesting episode ready for you on this episode of Language Chats. And we're going to be chatting with Kelly Harrison from Languages Roadshow. We hope you enjoy the episode. Kelly Harrison from Languages Roadshow, welcome to Language Chats. Thanks for having me. Oh, so good to have you with us. We love a, a guest um, and we're really excited about some of the stuff that you have been doing or at least what we've been seeing that you've been doing online. Um, but before we launch into all of that, um, Kelly, could you introduce yourself and, and tell our listeners a bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. So um, my background is as a high school Japanese and English teacher, but for the past uh, five years or so, I haven't been full-time in the classroom. It's been a combination of having kids and starting a business called Languages Roadshow. So um, Languages Roadshow is a business that offers professional development and online resources and all sorts of support for languages teachers. Uh, and it wasn't something I ever thought I would be doing or anything that I intended to do when I started my maternity leave, but it's an idea that came to me and I really wanted to pursue. And so, yeah, in 2019, I started the business and now, you know, coming up to four years later, we've grown to be helping teachers all around Australia. And yeah, I'm really excited to tell you a bit more about it tonight. Oh, it's so fantastic. And like Peg said, we, we've loved watching, you know, all the the events and all the stuff that pops up on our Instagram feeds. It's, I think it just looks so fantastic. You've done a great job. <laughs> oh, thank you. It's the highlights reel, yeah. as you know. <laughs> <laughs> so Japanese, when did all this start for you? Was it something that you got into as a kid or... How did that all become? Yeah, well, I started um, I started learning Japanese at high school. So this was um, when year eight in Queensland back in the day. Uh, so I grew up um, in a fairly country area of Queensland in a small farming area. So I didn't grow up with languages on the radar as such as a little kid. It wasn't like I grew up with grandparents speaking another language. It was a very monolingual environment. But when I was in primary school, I started to learn French just through my school and I was really captivated by learning French. Uh, it wasn't that my teacher was particularly inspiring or anything like that, but I just genuinely loved like learning vocab, finding out about another country. Uh, and even if I think back earlier than then, I remember in like year one, we did an international day at school where I think we'd learned about the Netherlands for a term. And then we had this special day where we could dress up as a certain nationality. And I think, you know, everybody dresses up like a total stereotype normally. So I was, a, I dressed up as a French person actually with, you know, a stripy shirt uh, and a beret and I was carrying a baguette around. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> but I, I really loved learning about other countries when I was a kid. And I've been thinking about that since I knew I was going to talk to both of you about, you know, where did my interest in languages come from? 
So I was sort of interested in that kind of thing at primary school. And then when I moved to high school, our languages choices were um, Japanese, German or Chinese Mandarin. So I was kind of disappointed that I couldn't continue with French, but uh, my dad actually really encouraged me to choose Japanese because he'd always wanted to do it and didn't get the chance. So uh, I chose Japanese and I really liked it and I kept continuing with it like into grade nine and then eventually into year 11 and 12. But I certainly didn't intend to be a Japanese teacher. I always wanted to be like a primary school generalist teacher. But it was only in year 12 that um, two of my teachers, I guess, had um, an influence on me in that sense. My English teacher made a comment that, you know, she thought I might be good as a specialist English teacher as opposed to a primary school teacher. And I love English. I've always loved writing and reading. So that was my first choice, but I needed another subject area. And at that time, I really loved my Japanese teacher and was doing well at it. So I thought, oh, maybe Japanese will be a good second area. So I went on to study it at university. And I think if there's any other people listening who did high school languages, if you then go on to university, you sort of go into what they call stream B, or they used to call stream B, sort of this intermediate phase. And I just struggled terribly. You know, I had been a really high achieving school uh, student at high school with languages. And I really quickly found myself at the bottom of the heap in my own mind anyway. Um, and I sort of was barely passing, I'd say that undergraduate part of my Japanese degree, but I was passionate about it and I knew I wanted to keep going. So I thought if I'm ever going to be able to teach a year 12 class, I need to sort my proficiency out. I'm not prepared to let this dream die. So I was able to fairly late in my degree, organize a full year exchange through UQ. And I did a year at Kitakyushu Shiritsu Daigaku uh, in Fukuoka Prefecture in Japan. Um, Hardly any English spoke, well, no English was spoken to us at university. Our teachers, even though they could speak English, wouldn't. And it's a fairly regional area of Japan. So day-to-day life was complete immersion. Uh, And yeah, you can imagine after a few months, I started to sort my proficiency out. So that year really cemented my absolute love of Japanese. And even though I probably thought I would more like to be an English teacher, by the time I'd done my year of exchange, I was really like, whatever about teaching English. I just want to be a Japanese teacher. This is my my real passion. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, good on you. And that sounds like such a, a fantastic opportunity, the immersion and, and being able to spend that whole 12 months in Japan. Did what was the reaction, I guess, from your family and from the kind of the, the town that you grew up in? They're like, you know, Kelly, you know, she's going to be a Japanese teacher. She could speak Japanese, you know, pretty fluently. What's going on? Do, is that how they kind of felt? Or were they just like, you know, open mouth, but this is. <laughs> um, that's a good question. I think um, even where I went to high school, which was in Ipswich in Queensland, which is not that far from Brisbane, it's a fairly a kind of like Geelong to Melbourne in a way. Um, and I think even my high school friends, like I'm one of very few who pursued languages after school. Like I had quite a few friends at school who did languages three to year 12, but it definitely is seen as a little bit um, odd, I think, in Australia still that you pursue languages, you know, as a career. Uh, And even just these days when I meet people, when I say, oh, you know, my background's as a high school Japanese teacher, you still definitely get that reaction of like, what? You speak Japanese? Like, can you speak it fluently? Like, where did you learn it? And people still have that that real inquisitiveness about how that came to be. Uh, So I'm always really happy to tell people 
that it wasn't as though I like woke up and had this epiphany that I was desperate to be a Japanese teacher and it wasn't like I was totally obsessed with anime or anything at high school. I just enjoyed it and decided to pursue it and then it became, you know, my professional focus and a big part of my personal life as well. I'm really happy to hear that too because I think as other people who have enjoyed languages in at school and also still enjoy languages as adults and have these conversations pretty often where people do, they go, what? You speak another language? How did you learn that? Like, what do you, <laughs> especially in Australia, like what did you, did you do it at school? Like, you know, it, it, people really do have that kind of surprise. Um, but of course, we know that there are plenty of people out there who are either interested in languages um, and want to work with them or want to be able to use them as well as people who just speak languages at home and use it with their community or with their family. Um, so it's really nice to hear this and I suppose this is what Language Chats is for. We we want to be able to share these kinds of stories with people to show that actually it's not nearly as not nearly as unusual as you might Definitely. And one of the um, sort of taglines I've been using this year with Languages Roadshow is let's normalise multilingualism because it is normal. Excuse me. It it is normal. And it's really, you know, I'm sure as you've talked about with previous guests, no doubt, you know, we are the most monolingual nation in the OECD, despite the fact that we do have such a multicultural community. And it's, I guess, kind of part of the mission of Languages Roadshow to not make it so obscure or surprising that basically like an Anglo-Australian can speak another language. (laughs) It shouldn't be that weird. (laughs) Right. Okay. So now that you've mentioned Languages Roadshow a few times, tell us a bit more about that. How did that start and where did, what made you want to create this, I guess, vehicle for professional development for teacher, for language teachers specifically? Um. So there's a couple of reasons that I started Languages Roadshow and there's one I'll mention straight away in case I forget because it is really important but sometimes it gets lost in the other reasons I had and that is that I'm really passionate about content and language integrated learning or CLIL pedagogy. Um, So for those people who haven't heard of it, I guess it's quite similar to immersion where you're teaching the kids content that's not just the language. So they might be learning another subject in the target language. So maybe they're doing geography in German or they're doing maths in Japanese. Uh, so it can be at that end of the, of the scale, but it can also just be taking cultural content from within the languages curriculum, maybe something like food or school, and actually teaching the kids information and content in the target language. So kind of goes beyond language just for the love of language or language for the sake of language. And I got really into CLIL uh, teaching at a school in Brisbane. I had a principal there who was a Japanese teacher before she was a principal and she really encouraged me to get into this and it completely sent me on a new trajectory. I'd say until that point, I'd probably taught in a similar way to how I had been taught, which was, you know, a fun classroom environment with lots of cultural stuff, but still using a lot of English in my sort of day-to-day interactions with the kids. And I think that was because like, firstly, as a beginning teacher, I think there's that sense of like, you want to be liked by the kids and you want to build relationships with the kids. And I used to feel like, oh, if I only speak to these kids in Japanese, I won't be able to build that rapport with them. You know, I need to speak in English. And also I doubted probably my own proficiency and the proficiency of the kids in terms of only using the target language. But I really turned that on its head probably in about my fifth year of teaching And 
had such a transformative experience with Clil that I just wanted to tell everybody about it. <laughs> and I started, you know, speaking at conferences as a full-time teacher, you know, going to things like the Japanese Symposium or the AFMLTA conferences and telling other teachers about my experiences of CLIL and really trying to convince other teachers, like, you should give this a go. It's really effective with, with our, our cohort of Australian kids. But there's only so much you can do when you're full-time teaching. You know, you can't follow up with people that much that you've met with at conferences and um, there's only so much time you have on your hands when you're teaching full-time as well. So I guess that was in my mind that I knew there was so much potential for CLIL and I wanted to find a way to really support teachers to actually try it you know, not just hear someone speak at a conference and then not action it. I wanted to really give teachers support on that. So that's kind of the pedagogical reason behind Languages Roadshow. Uh, And I guess the other thing is that um, as a languages teacher, I felt there was a real gap in terms of professional learning specific to the needs of languages teachers. Um, You know, there's some great offerings from Modern Language Teachers Associations with conferences in the holidays and things like that. But Sometimes some of the PD that I was going to that was put on by my employer in Brisbane um, probably was lacking a little bit. Um, It wasn't very frequent and sometimes it wasn't to the standard that I felt we perhaps needed as languages teachers. You know, we had a new Australian curriculum at the time. As languages teachers, we struggle with, you know, getting kids engaged and motivated and advocacy. And I just felt there was a space for somebody to bring a fresh approach to PD or professional development for languages teachers. So at the end of 2017, I went on maternity leave for the first time and we actually moved interstate. So I was in Brisbane, but we moved to Northern New South Wales for my husband's work. So I knew I probably wasn't going back to my full-time teaching job. And after I sort of came out of that initial fog of first baby, I started thinking about, okay, what am I going to do next? I'm not going to be teaching Japanese full-time in the immediate future, but I still want to stay really connected to my profession that I'd put so much into and that community. So I just started actually thinking like, what could I do languages related? And I thought, you know, I love presenting. I've got a lot of ideas that I want to present. I think there's a gap in terms of PD and conferences for languages teachers. So I remember saying to my husband, okay, I'm going to put on one event in Brisbane just as an experiment. We'll just see what happens. Um, Even if five people come, then, you know, that will be amazing. And then maybe in a year or two, I'll try something else and, you know, see how it goes. But at that first event, we had 80 teachers sign up. Uh, It was a huge success. And then it just took over my life in a great way. But it wasn't just like, oh, this is an experiment. We'll just see what happens. Like it was full-on Languages Roadshow, full steam ahead <laughs> with everything. So then, um, yeah, we did an, a number um, a number of events um, and then, of course, we had COVID and that's where things kind of changed a little bit and we've gone a little bit more hybrid model as opposed to being purely face-to-face. Oh, that's that's so amazing. Yeah, thanks for, sh- you know, telling us the, I guess, the whole journey from, from go to woe. That's really impressive. And I guess one other thing I'll mention is when I was first on maternity leave, I did some textbook writing. I co-authored Itomo Senior, which is a year 11 and 12 Japanese textbook. And I guess that was my first ever taste of, oh, I could do something languages related outside of the classroom. Because I think sometimes as teachers, it's really hard for us to imagine what we would do outside of teaching. You know, I know I felt that way. I thought I'll just, I will teach for the rest of my life. 
And so the idea that I got paid to do something with my language skills outside of being a teacher got the the cogs in motion in my brain. I knew after that experience I didn't want to be a full-time textbook writer. Like I enjoyed the experience, but it wasn't going to be like what set me on fire for the rest of my life, but I knew something languages related was. So that sort of, yeah, as I said, got the wheels in motion a little bit for me in terms of thinking about what I might do. So in terms of like, I guess, teachers that are attracted to the the PD and the resources that Languages Roadshow puts together, are you seeing teachers from a whole kind of different swathe of languages or is it is it pretty much the the main, I mean, Japanese, I guess, would be a really popular one. French, Indonesian, Italian. It's definitely a large number of those, I guess, in inverted commas, standard languages. So the ones that the Australian curriculum tends to focus on. Um, And we also have a very large number of our customers are Queensland based. And I, I think that's probably because that's where my network was. And that's where we sort of started, first of all. But I'll also just say, if any of the Queensland teachers are listening, they're a really active, mobilized group of professionals. So they're active in terms of that professional development scene, I would say. But we have a really wide range of languages, um, you know, probably Japanese, French, Italian, Chinese, uh, Spanish, Indonesian. And we do then have inquiries from time to time from people who are, for example, running Aboriginal language programs or maybe doing something like Korean. And I wish at times that we were better set up to have something to offer those teachers um, and at the moment where we're writing a CLIL unit of work that's like fully resourced from like PowerPoints for every lesson, fully scripted lesson plans in the target language, every worksheet you need, all the Australian curriculum mapping, there's not a single thing that teachers won't get if they purchase this pack. And I've had to convene a team of teachers to do the writing because I can only do the Japanese part and I've brought on board a team of people to do German, Spanish, Italian and French And we will expand with Chinese and probably Indonesian and Arabic at some stage. But then you do get the odd inquiry from someone who's really enthusiastic and they're they're running this Korean program. And I think, oh, I I want to say I have something really concrete to offer you, but I don't have it just yet. So we're at the moment, what we're thinking with the CLIL resources is we will put out a a basic, not a basic, we'll put out an English version of what we've written so that they could still have the full pack, but they might have to translate it into the language that they're doing. So then, you know, if, if schools are trying to get an Aboriginal language program off the ground and they feel like our resources would help them, well, they can still access them. But unfortunately, it's we can't cover every every language. And you know, I think, um, as you probably talked about before on the show, it's wonderful that Australia has this plurilingual context you know it's not like in Japan where everybody's learning English as the foreign language we've got people learning so many different languages depending on which school they're at but that is challenging too when you're trying to help resource things for teachers. Do you find that the different curriculum and the guidelines for each state is a challenge as well or are they pretty standard? No, it's a real bugbear of mine actually (laughs) at the moment Um, because 
so I started my professional life in Queensland. We basically adopt the Australian curriculum in Queensland. So I actually thought everybody did do that. I thought the Australian curriculum was used Australia-wide. But now living in New South Wales, you know, they use their own version. I believe Victoria has an adapted version as well. And to be honest, it really drives me a bit mental. I really wish that the Australian curriculum was used Australia-wide because so much time is spent with everybody trying to reinvent the wheel. And ultimately, we all have the same goal as languages teachers. We want our students to become proficient in the language. We want them to love the culture. We want them to be motivated about languages study. And to be honest, when I spend time looking at the differences um, between the states, I just think, I don't think it actually achieves anything fantastic. We would probably do just as well to all have the same syllabus. So It's definitely a challenge because we have been putting out quite a lot of resources this year for the new Australian curriculum and I just don't have the resources to also replicate all of that to be perfectly in line with New South Wales and perfectly in line with Victoria. You know, we do our best to try and make sure it fits for everybody, but it definitely is a challenge. Is is that one of the so because I'm sure you must get so much feedback and so many interesting call outs from teachers where they are finding that they have lacked information, for example, or, you know, how they've been, I'm sure, sometimes really grateful for what you're offering. Um, like, could you share some of that with us? Like, what, what are the things that you tend to hear um, across the board um, from teachers when they when they share their thoughts with you? I think a lot of the time languages teachers want someone to listen to them who understands the challenges that are quite unique to our role. So many languages teachers are often the only languages teacher at their school. And when you asked the question before about who's sort of represented in our customer base or our community of teachers online, one thing I was going to mention is that there's actually an over-representation of teachers from regional areas on our list, which I'm actually really proud to say because I feel really passionate about supporting those teachers because I grew up in a rural area, I live in a rural area now, and you don't have those same networking opportunities. So one thing I've realised, and this is whether it's city teachers or country teachers, is They sometimes just really need to talk about the challenges they're facing and have someone respond in a way that they can tell they actually understand. So that's become really apparent recently because we're launching something new next year, which is like a mentoring program for languages teachers. So, you know, I love a a single day of PD. Like I think it's so energizing and it sparks so many ideas. But I think sometimes it can be hard to keep up that enthusiasm or implement the ideas when you go back to school. Whereas what we're looking, well, what we are doing next year is this series of um, of online sort of group coaching calls, live calls on Zoom, where we get together and you know talk about different topics and help upskill teachers in their pedagogy. But really, I can see when I'm talking to the teachers who've signed up to this that they're almost looking for the languages department they always wish they were a part of. So I think sometimes languages teachers just want that sense of community. They want somebody who actually understands languages to talk about their assessment piece with or get some suggestions about how to run an engaging 7-8 program. Because in so many cases, unless you're in a really big school, languages is usually lumped in with another department, maybe humanities or English, sometimes even chucked in with maths. So you just so rarely have a head of department who is a languages expert who can provide you with any guidance or leadership. So I think a lot of the time that's what teachers are looking for. And 
they, you know, we put out a lot of resources that I'm sure are helpful to teachers, but I think sometimes that getting to meet in person and just talk is really, really valuable. A really good point, I think, to make just like wanting to be heard and then having the support there. But I think that's a great idea. Like what a good what a good way to continue on um, the kind of the learning and the sharing by having a mentoring, a mentoring program um, so that it isn't just the one day a year when you get to work on your, you know, work on your professional development. It, it should be more than that. Yeah. And it's been exciting because I wasn't sure if schools would support their teachers financially to do this but it's actually been really encouraging to see that schools can see the value in that and I think um, because often schools just don't have the capacity to really give their languages teachers any sort of specialist support they they want to help a lot of the time but they just might not have the skills to be able to do that so it's been really good to see teachers teachers who thought oh there's no way my school will back me on this are actually saying yeah we'll support you to do this so that's been really lovely. Yeah, that's really great to hear. Is is Japanese still a, a big part of your life, Kelly? Like day to day, are you you know are you doing any teaching or are you you know watching binge watching stuff on Netflix that we should know about? <laughs> yes, well, you should watch um, the Japanese version of Love Is Blind on Netflix. I really enjoyed that. Uh, that's been my like the extent of my study recently. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like my Japanese has taken a bit of a hit since I'm out of the classroom because not only have I moved from Brisbane to a regional area, I'm, you know, I'm not using it in the class every day. So it's definitely taken a bit of a hit and I'm I'm conscious of that and want to find ways to address that again. Um, but it's just so lovely when you do jump into something like a TV show, it does come back, doesn't it? You realise it is still there and it's so comforting to hear the language being spoken, even if it's on TV. So um, I've got quite a few Japanese friends, but I guess what's happened over the years is that their English has gotten better than my Japanese. I think this must be such a common problem for people learning other languages that it's so easy just to default to what both people are better at. Um, so I've, I've gotten a little bit lazy with that lately. So I need to push myself a little bit again. <laughs> You've had a few other things going on. So that's yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> are there any other languages that are a part of your life and your family's life that I guess kind of give you a different perspective to the work you do with Languages Roadshow and, and teaching in general? Like are your kids learning other languages at school or are they, I'm not even sure how old they are yet actually. <laughs> Yeah, well, um, there's there's two two things sort of family related there. So um, the first one is that my grandparent, well, my great grandparents um, were Russian speakers, so they came out to Australia in around 1910, I think. So my grandmother grew up speaking Russian and Polish, uh, but by the time my dad was born, it wasn't being spoken. So I, I was never exposed to it, but I'm really fascinated by that side of my family story. So I've made some really weak attempts at learning Russian and it's on my to-do list. I've got all the textbooks sitting there. They just haven't been opened. <laughs> so one day I'd love to learn to speak Russian. And one day when things are a little bit more politically stable and my kids are older, I'd love to go over there and you know do a big trip. Uh, and then the other thing that is not quite foreign language related, but very much language related is uh, my oldest son has autism and he's not speaking much at all yet. So I guess for me, I grew up probably with the gift of the gab from a young age. 
and now to see just the immense struggle that he's going through to even learn to acquire his first language has just given me this whole new perspective on language development in general. And I've been really lucky to get to do some work with um, not only his speech therapist, but another organisation in Brisbane called Language Disorder Australia. And they um, yeah, deal in this every day, kids that have you know developmental language disorder. And I've learned so much from them about the struggles that people can have in their first language. And that's helped me understand a lot more about how to teach kids to acquire their second language as well. So it's just highlighted to me how difficult it is for some people to be in a languages class. So yeah, they're sort of two things from my my personal life that have an impact on what I think about languages at the moment. I have one more question for you, Kelly. Um, what would you say is what would you say is the greatest thing that having a lang- another language in your life has given you? I think recently about the school trips that we got to take the students on when I was teaching Japanese. I had two amazing colleagues that I worked with. So the special experiences that I had taking students to Japan and allowing them to see what my Japanese proficiency allowed us access to in Japan and then encouraging them to want to pursue that is really special. So I think it all comes down to the relationships you get to form with people because you have that additional language. So I think the experiences you have when traveling are just so special if you can actually engage in that person's language. I know I went to Korea (laughs) when I lived in Japan and I I just struggled so much with the fact that I couldn't speak the language and that took so much away from my travel experience because up until that point I'd only known travel in Japan where I could engage to some degree, you know, improved over time. So, yeah, I think it's – I can't imagine travelling now where I had zero ability to communicate in that language. I would always want to be able to communicate to some extent before I went, even if it was so basic. I think it just it just changes your experience of travel so much. Oh, definitely. I couldn't agree yes. with you Preaching anymore. To the <laughs> big time. I love it. <laughs> That's it. Before we finish up, Kelly, um, where can people find you online and where can they find out more about Languages Roadshow? Yeah, so if you just Google Languages Roadshow, I'm sure it will come up. We're www.languagesroadshow.com.au. Uh, Languages Roadshow is on Instagram as well, so at Languages Roadshow. Same on Facebook. And then I also really love LinkedIn at the moment. So I'm just there under my name, Kelly Harrison, on LinkedIn as well. Oh, fantastic. Okay, well, we'll pop um, we'll pop some links to all of those things in the show notes so you'll be able to find them at hand. Um, and, of course, if you do want to find out more also about language chats um, and about what we do, then you can find out some more information at our website, www.languagelovers.com.au. And don't forget, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram as well at languagelovers.au. And if you haven't already, make sure you come and join our Facebook community where you can hang out with lots of language lovers and language obsessed people like us. Languagelovers.au community. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us on Language Chats today. We really appreciate you taking the time to share your story with us. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks, Kelly. See you next time, everyone.